going on everybody this is Ballers on tap we welcome you to episode seven i believe we have a good one for you here i'm your host evan kelly along with my co-host kk what it is what it do what it ain't whatever it means so this week we're gonna start off of course this is ballers on tap so we're gonna try out the on tap portion and review a beer. This week's beer is Vanilla Porter from Breckenridge Brewery over out of a good state of Colorado. I'd say I never heard of it. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to go ahead and jump into the Braves, of course. We have to touch on them because um, things are shaking up a little bit over there. And then, of course, the big stories of the week were a lot deeper into both the Eastern Conference and Western Conference finals. So we definitely have to touch on that, what's going on with the Celtics and Cavs, and then what we're seeing out of the Golden State and Houston series. So before we jump into the beer, please, if you want, subscribe to us, comment, rate us, give us some suggestions for a beer to try. Uh, Find us on Twitter at BallersOnTap. Uh, we're more than happy to to talk with you, argue with you, or try your beer. We'll give you a shout out and uh, let you know what we think. Now, anything to add to that? I was just going to say we really appreciate the feedback that we have gotten. And we're going to continue to appreciate that. So just let us know what you think about the show, what we can do better. We're looking forward to hearing from you guys. All right. Well, with that being said, let's uh, let's go ahead and start off. Again, this is Vanilla Porter. From Breckenridge Brewery um, out of Colorado, which I do know Colorado is kind of the hub of the whole microbrewery movement that's been going on here the last few years. So I think a lot of it started in Colorado and kind of moved east. So now you have cities like Asheville and Columbus trying to to get more like that. But I know Colorado is is really big on their microbreweries. And uh, this is one... I just picked out today. Thought it it looked cool. The the bottle has some really cool artwork on it. Um, looks like the mountains out there, out west. I guess those are the Rockies. Yeah, I would say the Rockies. <laughs> the Rockies. <laughs> um, and the way, obviously, it's a porter, so it's going to be a darker beer, a heavier beer than the IPAs that we've we've been kind of trying for a little bit. I wanted to switch it up. And this one, obviously, it has roasted malts with notes of vanilla, with it being a vanilla porter. Um, so with that being said, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, pop this one open. And let's see what it looks like. So just pouring it into a glass, it is dark. Yeah. Really, really dark. It looks, it looks almost like black black coffee. coffee. Yeah, Yeah. It looks like coffee. Um, it's got a really thick, um, kind of caramel looking head it's not just white it's a like a tan color it looks like a lot like a guinness when you pour a guinness um as for flavor what what are you tasting aj let's see it definitely tastes like a guinness to me i know i'm not a big guinness guy like you are but that's definitely what what i'm feeling i can kind of get a hint of vanilla it tastes to me yeah you won't like this but to me it tastes kind of like coffee it's like a 
I mean, I can kind of. I kind of got that. I can um, kind of taste that. Um, I mean, I can taste the coffee hint a little bit. It's not coffee. I think it comes more from the roasted malts. So, um, again, coffee, you're roasting the beans. And this, you're roasting the malts. So, I think that's what you're tasting there. Um, to me, it's not like a Guinness. It looks the same. And it looks very similar. But uh, I think it has a pretty distinct taste. I think Guinness is maybe a little smoother. I don't know how to explain it. This one's like kind of sharp. I don't know. Um, maybe it's, this one's bolder than Guinness. I think Guinness is a little smoother. And that's probably this one's coming with that vanilla taste. It's It's got um, just kind of a whole whole different flavor packed into it. But I like it. No, it's not a sit outside on a hot day and throw them down at the pool. Yeah, this is a definitely a heavy beer. Like this is yeah. one you kind of sit back you might drink three four five at the most but it makes me this makes me want to still be inside of like a dark pub (laughs) or something and just cold outside probably raining hanging out that's what i'm hanging out with some guys in the pub and just sitting and talking that's exactly what this makes me want to do whereas like some of the other ones especially that dr robot we had last week that made me want to grab some camping chairs and and go sit outside somewhere yeah so, I like it though. Um, out of ten, what are you giving Vanilla Porter? I do think it's pretty good. What did I get? I get. I liked Doctor Robot last week, and I, I said seven point five. And I, we I, came to seven point five. You were stingy at first. I was, I was seven. You, you gave it like. Yeah. Well, I actually, gave it like six point five two seven. Yeah, I, I like this one. I'll give this one a seven. You'll give this one a solid. Yeah, I'm surprised. I wouldn't think this was up your alley. No, I mean, not, I mean, it's a good beer. I mean, it's not something that. Like we said, like you're just going to throw down, mm-hmm. but I mean, you have three, four, five and kind of just enjoy yourself. I mean, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I I think it's, it's a winter beer. I feel like. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, it's, definitely, it's not a summer beer. No, it's not a summer beer. And obviously that's what we've been trying a lot more. Cause I mean, we are here in the South and it's starting to get really, really hot and it's only going to get hotter here in the next couple of months. So I wanted to try something different. This is. Definitely more of a fall winter beer. Um but I'm surprised you even gave it a seven. I'm going I'll go just a little bit higher. I'll go seven and a half. All um, right. So seven point two five is where we're yeah, coming at. Yeah, seven point two five. I mean I, I do like it. I would definitely get this again and sit around and drink it. Um Yeah, yeah, I could drink this again. Yeah. Yeah. With me like obviously I would rate Guinness higher than that, but that doesn't mean like this is a good good porter yeah beer good heavy beer so seven and a half for me seven from you well we average that out give it seven and a quarter <laughs> and uh for the vanilla porter yeah that's our review quarter for the porter so do you want to just go straight into what we're seeing from the braves uh there's been some news this week i just want to before you go into too much detail on how they're playing what we saw from the games this last week. I just want to go ahead and hear your take. Um, I've been kind of not happy, but I thought it was kind of cool. We signed uh, Batista and yeah. everything. I want to know what, what's your take. Uh, the big news this week is the Braves did release him. Mm-hmm. So now he is off the team. We called him up for, what was it? Uh, he was, two, three weeks. Uh, yeah. Two or three weeks. He was with us. Two, three weeks. So I just want to kind of hear what, what you guys say about the release, good, bad, um, 
bad short term, good long term. I don't know. I want to yeah. hear hear what you guys say. Well, when we first signed him, I mean, I, you have you're kind of hype about it. It's like it's a well known name. It's a power guy. But at the time when we signed him, we really didn't need him, and we never really needed him the way this offense is going. So it was an experiment. They tried it. It didn't work. And you just got to kind of let the guy go. I know they did invite him. If he didn't find a team, he's, they did invite him to come back to AAA. Maybe um, work work on your swing a little bit. I just Actually, I just saw some news. Did you see this? No, I did not. Did he sign somewhere? Um, From what I'm seeing, it looks like uh, Mets agreed to deal with Mets. Jose Bautista. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at this like live right as we're recording. I'm um, trying to see if they actually signed him to the team or if they're sending him to their, you know, to their farm system. Well, I did hear some some stuff rumblings that the Mets were interested. In. Okay, so I did hear that. Let's see. But, I mean, from what I'm looking, I don't, I can't see. I don't think there's enough detail yet of what they're going to do with him. But uh, as of seven o'clock on. Tuesday, Tuesday night, uh, he signed to the Mets. So, I mean, good for him. I mean, um, yeah. I mean, I, there's no ill will to the guy. I mean, it was an experiment. We tried it. It didn't work. So, we just just had to part ways with him. I mean, he was hitting like a buck forty, which I mean, yeah. you just his bat his bat wasn't fast enough mm-hmm. for the fastball. So, touch on maybe touch on a little bit what good that means for the Braves with a Camargo. Yeah, what that so, means for him. Releasing Batista, they're, they've decided to go as far as, I want to say long-term for this season, but not long-term as in future, like two or three years down the road. They're going with Johan Camargo, who's switch hitter. He's going to play third base. I know we have Austin Riley, who's down there raking in the minors, which I think he might be called up this summer soon. He's a young 20-year-old third baseman. So you could see him getting called up this year. I, I this think, season, I I think so because he's doing. He just got moved up to AAA and he's still hitting the ball well. I think they can because Johan Camargo. Yeah, he's a he's more of a utility guy, kind of a guy off the bench. I don't know if he's an everyday starter, but right now he's going to be just kind of that placeholder again. Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, I think that's like I said, no ill will or anything. And I don't think he has ill will towards us. I think it just didn't work. And yeah, I mean, just part ways. I mean, he's a, yeah, he's a grown man. I'm sure he's fine. Yeah. They're all professionals. And I mean, they're still getting paid, so can't complain too much. Um, now moving into kind of the actual games we saw, I think we were just speaking on it either last week or the week before how even when this, team is losing what's fun to watch is their team that you can't ever count out they are one of those teams that just for whatever reasons really seems to fight and yeah they do scratch and claw their way back and at least give it their all even if they do lose mm-hmm. they they never really give up and uh i think probably the best example of that all season happened just the other night oh yeah and that that was a mem- memorable moment for sure this weekend they played the marlins three game set they dropped friday's game they won saturday's game and so you're going in sunday rubber match to the series and this is one of the worst teams in the league the marlins this is a team you have there's a series you have to win you oh, yeah. gotta it, take it was care disappointing of. friday when they lost to the marlins mm-hmm. that was kind of a a surprise really 
Yeah, so it's those series that you got to handle your business. Well, come Sunday, Braves didn't take care of business. Tehran got rocked, gave up a grand slam. They were down 6-0. Then they're down 9-4 in the ninth. To be honest, I turned the TV. I turned the TV. I was like, I, it's nine four going to the ninth. They got to score five runs to even tie. I just don't see it happen. So I turned the channel, and I know I have the Braves updates on my ESPN ESPN app on my phone. So I'm sitting there for a while, and I was like, man, I haven't gotten that update yet, saying that the game is over and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I was like, let me just look. So I looked, and it was nine eight. The Braves were down one. So I turned it to the game. Had to watch it. Dansby's up to bat. He's down 0-2. He fought off some pitches. 2-2, even count. He rips a single down the line, down the left field line. Scores two runs. Braves come back and win 10-9. Just a crazy, crazy, crazy ending to that game. And it brings up a point that what you said, this team, they just have fight in them. It's never over for them. And it just makes it, as a fan, so much more fun to watch. It does. Because it's great even, to watch. even in those situations, you know you're at least going to see them try. Yeah. So, next time, down five runs, don't turn off the TV. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I'm going to have to stay tuned now. So, moving on from that Marlins series, we escaped away with that series win. We start a big series on Monday. We started that last night against the Phillies. We lost the first game, 3-0, and that trimmed our lead down to a half game over Philly. So this is the top two teams in the NL East battling out. This is a big series for us. It's a kind of a measuring stick to see how far we've come and how much we've gotten better. So I'm I'm excited to see how the series is going to go. Yeah, I, I know. Am. For me, I don't know for whatever reason, maybe it's from like the early 2000s or what, but for some reason the Phillies just kind of is one of those teams I kind of get hyped to play against. I don't really like them that much. To me, I don't know why, but they have like that same kind of, they leave the same taste in my mouth as the Nationals in that yeah. I've always kind of looked at them as not a rival, but one of those teams the Braves have to step up against uh we always seem to kind of play each other well. So I will say it is pretty crazy how close the NL East is. I mean, we're in first at 28 wins. You go down from there, Philly's got 27, Mets got 24, Nationals got 25, and then you got the Marlins at 17. So, mm-hmm. it's I mean, it's still a really tight race there. Like, like we've been saying, it's early in the season, but man, none of these teams are really pulling away from the pack, you know? So I think as the season progresses, it's only going to be tougher and tougher, which is why I'm glad to see us winning some of these come from behind victories or some of these close games. Um, I'd, I'd be a little more nervous if we were only winning blowouts. Yeah. Because later in the season, you're going to have to be able to pull off a couple of those tough, close games in order to kind of keep your positioning. Yeah, no, no one around the sports world would have told you that the Philadelphia Phillies and the Atlanta Braves would be the top two teams in the NL East. Nobody would have before the season. But it's gonna look. It looks like a four-team race. Phillies and, need Ryan Howard. <laughs> well, that's when you said 
as far as the Phillies, like, you know, hate them. But that was that Ryan Howard era yeah. where they had Chase Utley and had everybody. I mean, he's you look busy. at some of those. He's too busy at Subway now. <laughs> you look at some of those teams, like, they were great back in the day. Yeah. So that kind of created a, a big rivalry between the Braves. But it's going to be a four-team race. I really do think so. I know the the benchmark, as far as I know it fluctuates every season, the benchmark to make the playoffs as a wildcard team is usually about 88 wins. And the Braves won 72 games last year. So mm-hmm. you have to find, they have to find this year 16 games, 16 wins. They have to find that. And if they keep playing well, I do believe they, they I do believe they will. I mean, let's look at Sunday when they came back against the Marlins. I think they found a win. I don't, last year, I don't think they pulled that game off. Yeah. So that's one game you kind of find a win at. So it's going to be a really fun heat in the heat in the summer. And I'm excited for it. Yeah. And I mean, here we go. We got not even a month left of NBA. And then it's going to be the dog days of summer where it's just baseball Mm -hmm. and NBA free agency. So happy with where the Braves are right now. Still, still have not seen that slump that we kept waiting on to see. Um, They're definitely a little more legitimate than, anybody thought after those first two weeks of the season. So good so far for the Braves. Um, glad to see Batista get signed somewhere and uh, moving on. So next up, let's go ahead and touch on last week's show. We talked about games one and two of the Eastern conference finals. Cavs Celtics, Cavs won their home games. They were up 2-0. Celtics won their home games. Or, yeah, Cavs <laughs> won their home games. Well, Cavs won their home games. Yeah, too, they but we haven't did. gotten there yet. <laughs> no, yeah, so Celtics won their home games. We're up 2-0. Series was about to go back to Cleveland, and we were kind of talking about what we expected to happen. And to be honest, the Cleveland team that we kind of expected to see showed up. I mean... LeBron finally got some help from from some other guys versus that that game two loss. I thought all hope was gone for the Cavs because, again, that was one of those games LeBron put up 40-plus points and got no help and still lost. And at that point, I just thought there's nothing more this man can do. And then going into game three, Cavs stepped it up. Which we both said last week, that we're bashing the Cavs and what they can't do and LeBron's the only player on that team. We still both said that we expect them to come back to Boston 2-2. And that's what it was. And I knew game three would be a blowout. If it wasn't a blowout, that's when I would have concern. But I knew that was going to be the Cavs' best effort. They know it's a must win. I knew that was going to be ugly, and it was. It's, It's amazing how much better the Cavs can be when he when LeBron gets some help. Yeah. And, and it's not much help. It's not, but instead of needing to score 42 points, he put up a solid 27 points. Yeah. And then Kevin Love came in with a solid 13. Tristan Thompson, 10. The big one, J.R. Smith with 11, because he's had some goose eggs here mm-hmm. in the playoffs. And I think when J.R. Smith isn't scoring at all, when he's at zero points at the end of the night, 
it really hurts that team because even if he has nine, 10 points, that means J.R. Smith was hitting some shots, which means when they kick it out to him on the wing, you gotta respect it. teams have to play defense on him versus him going 0 for 7 and having no points. So J.R. Smith with 11, George Hill with 13, which we'll get into in a second when we talk about game four. But that was big. And I know the Cavs coaching staff, they were really stressing to George Hill about being aggressive. Because look what happens when, I mean, technically he's he's out there as a guard. He needs to yeah. be kind of help setting the pace. So when he puts up 13, and then, hey, Kyle Korver, we've been talking about him all playoffs as kind of, he's going to be solid. He put up 14, which, I mean, he's the second leading scorer on the team, which is kind of sad. Yeah, but. I mean, they, they hit a... A season high, thir- 17 threes. All the shots were falling. It was just one of those games. It was over in the first five minutes. You yeah. could just tell. Celtics, they just got ran through. Tatum at 18. Horford only took four field goals. He had seven points. That's not the Horford we saw in the first two games. No, and it's not. <clears throat> the, the surprising thing about that is you can say, oh, the Celtics are a young team. They can't, they're not going to be able to play well on the road. And I do think that is, that has a lot to do with it. But Horford, as the veteran of the team, he has to know that he can't sit back and kind of watch the game. Only taking four shots isn't acceptable for him, especially on a road game. I think if he comes out and he's playing aggressive, not that Horford needs to be jacking up a lot of shots anyway. But just playing aggressive, trying to get to the basket, maybe missing a couple at the rim, but you're still getting to the basket. Having that veteran presence do that, not being phased in another city, in another stadium, would help get that young team kind of into a groove. And they didn't do that. No, they. I mean, they look they look lost out there. They didn't look like a, a team up 2-0. But, so they got ran through, took the L. They said after game three, we're going to play better. Game four, got to get our heads on straight. So game four. Now, after game three, I want to ask you. So they they interviewed Terry Rozier, and he said, oh, it's good. I'm glad we got our butts whooped because it taught us, blah, blah, blah. We needed to get our butts kicked so that we could be put in our place and concentrate. Do you buy that at all, or do you think that's a after the loss, you trying to spin it? Because um, I don't think if they went in there and won game three, he's not going to be like, man, if we could have lost that, we'd really be keyed in right now. Now, I do think after it's only been two games, nope. the two games they won, then the third game they get their butts beat. I think more it's more of as far as his point that he's trying to make. I do think sometimes that is a a good take as far as to get a team motivated. But I think that's more of a regular season thing. Let's say you first 20 games, you're 18 and two and you're, you're on cloud nine. He's like, man, we are really better best team in the league. Well, yeah, sometimes you need to get that like, Oh, Oh shit. We're not kind of get that butt whooped. But I don't, I don't think it's the case here. I don't, I don't think they were kind of saying like, man, we are so much better than the Cavs. We can run through them and not even try I hope not. No, no, I don't think so either. I just, I don't know. I'd rather see him, me just personally, I'd rather see him 
we got to be mad about it. Yeah. Like we got our butts kicked. And I mean, I'm not saying he was happy about it, but to say, Oh, it's like this deep lesson and it's going to help us get our head on straight. What do you need your head on straight for, man? It's game <laughs> three of the Eastern conference finals. You, you steal one game away and you almost have the series locked up. So I don't know. I rather see a different reaction than that. Now, Jump ahead, like we said, jump ahead to game four. This was a little more of the classic Cavs. LeBron had to put up 44, all right, to to win this game. Kevin Love only put up nine points. This one was a weird game. It was. So Cavs won 111-102. There were times in the game where I thought, Okay, Celtics are out of it. It was second quarter. They were down by about 20 points. It was like 38 to 18 at one point. And I was like, okay, Celtics are (laughs) out of it. And then there'd be times where they'd get it within six, seven points. I was like, okay, Celtics look like they have some grit. It it was just a weird game because I couldn't tell which Cavs were coming to play. And like I said, this is a Cavaliers game. LeBron with 44 points. And then Kyle Korver with 14 all, all in the first half. Yeah, he's having to put up a lot of points. And then, like I said, here's... I mean, they only won by nine points. Here's another big contributor, George Hill, again with 13 points. And, like I said, they showed him in the gym early. Instead of doing warm-ups, he was sitting on the sideline with a coach going over video because they're showing him how different of a game it is when he's aggressive. Because, I mean, you remember George Hill on the Pacers. Yeah, I mean, he was... Not saying he was like an all star, but I mean he Decent. was solid. Yeah, he was solid. I mean, right, yeah, right now. Well, before they kind of told him to be more aggressive, he was just out there playing point guard, like not even trying to score really. Yeah, but I, I mean, think that's one of the I, biggest I like I changes. Seen, for, I feel like I haven't seen George Hill on this Cavs team since he got traded there. Yeah, I mean he kind of just disappears on the floor. Well, I think that's been one of the biggest turnarounds for the Cavs is him being more aggressive and him scoring. Something else you got to worry about. Yeah. Oh yeah. Instead of just. You worry about LeBron and the spot-up shooters and maybe Tristan on a pick-and-roll, and that's and it. what's scary about this, if I'm a Celtics fan, what's scary about this is LeBron, he had 44 points, right? He shot 60%, and of that 60, he only made one three. So that means he just ate you up in the yeah. mid-range and in the paint. He didn't need to hit a bunch of threes to score quick. LeBron went dad mode and just <laughs> beat them inside which to me is more embarrassing than having a guy get hot and jacking up threes yeah. and hitting them so LeBron's 44 like I said that's a typical Cavs game now the Celtics I mean they were a little more spread out you had Jalen Brown with 25 then you had Jason Tatum with 17 which is good to see Al Horford with 15 that's about what I expect from Al Horford. Anytime he gets 20, it's a great game. 15, that's that's very doable for Al. Marcus Morris with 10. Terry Rozier with 16. So, I mean, it was a solid, solid spread from the Celtics. And I just think they got down so much so quick in that first quarter, beginning of second quarter. You can't recover from that. Yeah. Because so they, they played decent after the second that. half I, they, they I played think they decent. came out in that second half and played a lot better yeah because I agree with what you said they showed grit they showed fight but you dug yourself too big of a hole yeah. in the first half and you just couldn't dig yourself out yeah. there. now you're in trouble it's 2-2 two, two. 
Yep. So here, and here's the scary thing. So it's two two. You go back home again. You never know which Cavs team you're going to get. The Cavs could just go off one night and they could steal a win in Boston. But on the flip side of that, if you watch that second half of the game of Game Four, again Brad Stevens looked like at halftime he got his guys to key in and they did play a little tougher smarter game that second half instead of looking like a bunch of young guys who didn't know what was going on. I mean, they were missing dunks in that first quarter that were embarrassing. I mean, open dunks and they were just, it looks like they just were too hyped up for it Mm -hmm. and they, they weren't paying attention to the game plan. So like I said, flip side of that coin is, well, maybe coming back to Boston, they keep that same mentality they had for that third and fourth quarter of this last game. Yeah, they could. And, and they handle their business again like they did in games one and two. And then you could be going back to Cleveland. Or you could you could win it at home. Yeah. So So looking f- um I mean do you look, looking forward. Yeah, looking forward. What do you what are you thinking? Man. <laughs> so from here on out it, it switches every other yeah, game. So one, it's gonna one, be one. back to Boston. For game five, it's tied up 2-2. Then back to Cleveland. No matter what, there's going to be another game in Cleveland. Mm-hmm. So, to be honest, the the way I've seen this play out so far, I think it's going to be a seven-game series. And that's about all I can predict. Because, <laughs> look, here, here's the thing. I want to say this one's a pretty cut and dry. Each team just wins their home court. That's the way it's been going. Each team looks a lot better on their home court. It's not like the series going on in the West right now where each team has kind of looked decent at some point. Well, Houston not so much in Golden State, but you know what I'm saying? Like Each game is kind of a toss-up. Yeah. Here, I think it's it's pretty obvious. The teams are look completely different when they're at home versus when they're away. So I see Celtics winning this next game. Okay. I think it goes back to Cleveland. I think Cleveland wins game six. I see it coming back to Boston. Now, here's what I don't know. Because here's where you have the young team. No real leaders because, again, Kyrie and Gordon Hayward are out. I think if Kyrie and Gordon Hayward were here, we're talking about a whole different series. Yeah, But this is kind of a team. I mean, it almost reminds me a little bit of that. Hawks team from the Eastern Conference Finals a few years ago. Even though they got swept, it's one of those teams where everybody has to contribute. There was no just go-to person. So, I see it going Game 7. I'm just scared about this young team (laughs) with no go-to person going against LeBron in a Game 7 Eastern Conference Finals, knowing he's trying to get to the Finals. That being said, we've seen LeBron put up 42 points and still lose... Lose a game yeah. in Boston. I think one good thing the Boston has going for them as far as for game five, it's on Wednesday. So they got one day rest. And the last time they traveled, they got three days rest. Yeah. So I think it's one thing they got going for them because they're a younger team, don't got to rest up as much. But I don't think it matters who wins Wednesday night. Cleveland's winning the series. Even if Boston goes up 3-2, Cleveland will win at home to tie at 3-3. And I just don't see LeBron letting his team lose a game seven. And that's just kind of how I feel. As much as I think this Boston team is great, I think they need their two all-stars 
on the team to yeah. win. I mean, cause that just like logically that shouldn't work. This team should not make the finals and then come back next year with the addition of two all-stars that were on the roster. Like this team isn't supposed to make the finals the way it's put together because they're missing its two best players. Not to say it can't happen, but I mean, there's just something to be said about big game. Even though, even though it's in Boston, they know this is to go to the NBA finals. This isn't game seven of round one or two. This is the conference finals and it's familiar territory for LeBron. I mean, I just think LeBron's experience being in there, even when you talk about the veterans on Boston, I mean, Al Horford hasn't been in that type of situation to, to really elevate and get to that next level. Like I said, he was on that Hawks team that got swept. He He's used to it. I know he's frustrated with it, but he's never been able to break through that. That's not in his game, I don't think. He's not the one that can elevate. LeBron... This is a, a yearly routine for him. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think he's going to have to work harder. But I kind of agree. I see it going back to Boston for Game 7. And if you would ask me before these playoffs, if we had this exact same scenario going on but a month ago, and or just say I hadn't watched any of these playoffs, I would probably go with Boston. But, man, after watching Round 1 and 2, like, I really, I can't count LeBron out of anything because yeah. I thought he was going to be out both rounds. Well, <laughs> Not against the Raptors, but especially like Pacers. I don't know. I just, I cannot count the man out. He's all of my predictions. He's spit in their face. So I don't want to sit here and say he's going to get beaten game seven in Boston. And then he go off for 45 yeah. and he just needs help from one person. That's yeah. That's all he needs. He needs help from one person. So Corver will probably get nine or 10 and then just needs somebody to get 10, 15 and they won the game. So I'm kind of on the same page with you there. I see I see the Cavs taking this series. Yeah. And I would not be surprised at all if Boston doesn't win another game. I would not be surprised uh, if Cleveland wins. I'm serious. I would not be surprised. You got to look at you got to look at the psyche of this young Celtics team. You're up 2-0 on top of the world, right? Well, now you just lose two games pretty handedly, especially game 3. Now you're thinking, like, man, it's an even series again. The king is here. I'm scared. But like I said, they won those two games at home. From there on out, you just got to protect home court. That's true. I mean, that that's all you got to do, but you're playing. That's that's the way playing. it's set up. That's you're the way. LeBron. That's why you get home court advantage. So you don't have to win away. That's true. And they haven't won away. They won one game in these playoffs yeah. away from TD Garden. So. It's going to be fun for sure. I'm excited for it. It is. So this time next week, we'll be talking about something completely different. But here we go. 2-2, game five coming up in Boston. And uh, I think Boston is going to take it. You say otherwise. No, I I do think Boston will win. But I'm just saying I would not be surprised if they don't. Man, you got to pick. You can't. Okay, I'm picking Boston ain't going to win. So Boston, okay. you're saying Boston? Bo- Boston win. won't win another game. I'll say Boston wins Game Five. I think Cleveland's going to win the next two. Okay, that's like me saying, I don't know. I could be like, oh, like say say Finals are Cavs and Warriors. Oh, I think Warriors are going to win, but I wouldn't be surprised if Cavs win. <laughs> that's not a stance on anything. 
right. All right. You got me. <laughs> All right. Well, let's go ahead. Touched on that. Still a great series. Tied up. Entertaining. It's the Eastern Conference, so yeah, they're not as high scoring. There's a little more defense to it. That's just kind of how it's always been. Eastern Conference versus the flashy Western Conference. But before we go get into the Western Conference, it is that time again. It's time for the Hangover of the Week. Hangover of the Week. Okay, and for those of you who don't know, Hangover of the Week this is our story this week where we're sick of it. It's it's giving me a headache. It's making me nauseous. Makes me just want to go to bed. It's giving me a hangover. Time to just retire the story. Don't don't talk to me about this story anymore. I need to hydrate. Give me some Pedialyte. Give me some Gatorade. Let me get over this hangover of this story that I've been hearing all week. So let's go ahead and jump into this week's hangover of the week. All right, so I'll go ahead and start off with my hangover of the week. And this story is really today, maybe yesterday, Monday, today we're recording on Tuesday. Big story coming out of New England. Tom Brady is not going to OTAs, so... OTAs are the voluntary workouts that the NFL teams have. But a lot of people in the league know, okay, they're not really voluntary. You know, it's it says voluntary, like a, but you're expected to be there. It's an understood thing. Yeah, so Tom Brady, he's been going to these OTAs for like 18 years. <laughs> and I'm here, there's a bigger story here, and here's what I'm getting to. Tom Brady not going to OTAs is being talked about as he's not supporting Bill Belichick anymore, which I actually agree with. I think this is the first year that Tom Brady is finally over Bill Belichick. Now, I don't want to go into a lot of detail on the Patriots because I'm sick of hearing about the Patriots, which is why this is my hangover of the week. But let me just give a quick rundown. So, yeah, this goes back before last year's Super Bowl. This goes back to last offseason, if not earlier. Jimmy Garoppolo was the backup quarterback for the Patriots. And Bill Belichick is famous for getting rid of players one year early rather than one year late. Now, there are stories Bill Belichick knew Jimmy Garoppolo was the future of that franchise. And it was time for Brady to kind of move on. Not necessarily that he was going to cut him, but... He knew Jimmy Garoppolo was the way to go. Because, I mean, he's been a backup there for years. He could be a starter on any team, which now he is. And he's, from what we've seen in a few short games, he looks amazing. Yeah. And Belichick saw that. Belichick's about winning. He's not about loyalty. And then Robert Kraft came down and said, no, you're not doing anything with Brady. Brady's not going anywhere. He's not getting cut. He's not getting traded. This is Brady. This guy's made my franchise. And Kraft overruled Bill Belichick on some of these kind of decisions in the in the back rooms. Brady knows that. Brady knows Belichick was ready to move on because Brady's getting up there in age. So I think that started it, which all reports say they've never been the closest anyway. They're not pals. Brady and Kraft are pals. They they hang out together, 
in the offseason, Brady has always tolerated Belichick because they win together. They've supported each other, but they're not friendly. So, I think it all started with that. Brady right then, already kind of sick of Belichick. And then come the last year's Super Bowl. Everything's good when you're winning, right? Mm As soon as people start losing, fingers start getting pointed. Look what happened to the Seahawks. They lost the Super Bowl because they didn't hand the ball off one yard run. And you had players talking about that the whole offseason, the whole next season. And that, to me, that tore apart that team. Even guys on defense are like, why did you not hand the ball off? And people start pointing fingers. So last year, Patriots lose the Super Bowl. Well, not last year, last Super Bowl. Patriots lost. And it was a big deal because Belichick sat out Malcolm Butler and didn't give anybody an explanation why. It was basically a game-time decision. Caught them off guard. Everybody on the team, not just Malcolm Butler. You saw him crying on the sideline because he couldn't play in the Super Bowl. And the Patriots were getting beat. And out of pride or whatever it was, Belichick is not putting in his first-string defender. Let me budge in right quick. By the way, this this Malcolm Butler, who couldn't play in the Super Bowl, is the reason why the Seahawks lost when they passed the ball on the first for, on the one-yard line. Exactly. Because Malcolm Butler caught the interception. Exactly. So Malcolm Butler's won them a Super Bowl. And Brady knew that. Brady gave him the truck that he won, you know, for being the Super Bowl MVP. He got a truck that year. He gave it to Malcolm Butler because he knew Malcolm Butler saved his butt in that Super Bowl. So there's some allegiance there. I mean, he likes the guy. And like I said, last year, they didn't say why. He just got benched at game time. And then when you're losing, what does he do? He still doesn't play his first string guy on defense, which is ridiculous. So what a lot of people thought was maybe a minor story has kind of turned into a major story because there have been reports that there's a lot of kind of dissension in that Patriots locker room this offseason, and a lot of it has to do with going back to the benching of Malcolm Butler in the Super Bowl. One, they saw it as an attack on Malcolm Butler. Two, they don't even get the respect of getting a reason why. And three, a lot of them think that cost them a Super Bowl. Not having, I mean, one of your best guys on defense on the field when he's perfectly healthy. So, it looks like Brady is over the Patriot way. He's kind of supported Belichick for 18 years. He's done everything the right way. He's done what Belichick's wanted him to do. He's kept his head down and has done everything the Patriot way. And this is the first year. Here comes OTAs. And Brady said, nah, I'm good. <laughs> so, and then, of course, somebody asked Belichick about it today. And what he say? He, he didn't even acknowledge Brady. Next man up. He goes, <laughs> Oh, I'm only going to talk about the guys that are here. <laughs> yeah, you sounded like them. <laughs> guys, guys that are here, they're they're the ones here trying to get better. And I'm not going to talk about anybody that's not here. <laughs> so, Brady's over it. But I'm just sick of this story, too. This is probably the one time I can get behind Brady. I hate Brady. I really do. I'm not a Tom Brady fan. I think he's one of the best, but I'm not a fan. But you know who I'm not a fan of more than I'm not a fan of Tom Brady? is. Nope. Bill Belichick. <laughs> so now the fact that there's some there's some conflict going on there, I, I'm kind of enjoying it over on this end. And it's not necessarily that I'm so hungover with this story right this second, 
But you know how I just said we're about to go into these dog days of summer where it's just baseball and NBA free agency? Well, you know what the third story all summer is going to be? It's going to be about the (laughs) damn Patriots and Tom Brady not being on with Bill Belichick. So the story coming out now, not super sick of it, but just looking forward to the summer, it's already giving me a headache because I know I'm going to hear about it every week from now until about August. And that is my hangover of the week. All right. So you also talked about a player that is skipping OTAs. Well, that that is also the topic <laughs> of my hangover of the week. God. Your boy Julio Jones is skipping OTAs. Like you said, it's voluntary. Well, although nothing has been confirmed, there has been rumors, I guess. And when I say confirmed from his agent, from Julio himself, there's been rumors that Julio wants a bigger contract. He makes $14.5 million a year. Rumors saying he wants around 20. Matt Ryan just got paid. He should get paid. But this is the one thing that I'm kind of sick of as far as from Julio's standpoint. Julio, you had 88 catches last year and three touchdowns. You don't deserve $20 million a year. I do think you're top. You're the second best wide receiver in the league. I agree. But until you start catching some touchdowns, now I know you can go back and say, "Oh, there's a lot of a lot of it was Matt Ryan and the play calling." You also dropped a couple of touchdown passes last year. And if you want to blame Matt Ryan, go to voluntary workouts, work out with Matt Ryan, get your timing down, run passing drills. But no, you're in Alabama working with high school quarterbacks and catching passes for them. So I don't have any sympathy for you for asking for for more money. If you are, now granted, nothing has been confirmed. This is all speculation. But I think this is the root of what, remember, a month ago, maybe more like a couple weeks ago, Julio was a topic of my hangover before. When he deleted all his pictures off his Instagram, mm-hmm. I think that is was the beginning of this, saying he wants a bigger contract. So I, I'm just going to keep it short. Julio, you need to show more production on the field. I know you're top two in the league. Everybody does. Some 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 say you're number one wide receiver in the league, but I don't think you deserve twenty million dollars a year until you catch more than three touchdown passes. Now, can I say one thing? I do think the touchdown passes is a misleading stat to look at for Julio. Well, because now when you look at like the Steelers you know, with your alleged number one receiver, right? That I assume that's who you're going for. I mean, yeah, number one receiver. Yeah, I mean Antonio Brown is number one receiver. In the okay, so other than Juju Smith, they they don't have any other options really. I mean, he he's their go to guy. So, so who's the other option? Muhammad so, Sanu? I'm saying... Muhammad Sanu is solid. I'm I, I'll the, give you that. The way that the Falcons' offense works is it... It, it didn't it work very well last year. That's that's Sarkeesian's fault. <laughs> I'll say that. No, I don't, want, I don't want to get into a big debate. I just say... I do think the Falcons' offense works a lot more on relying on Julio to get down the field. And then they know he's going to get double teamed in the red zone and go into 
our other options. And that might not even be a receiver. It might be like a little bubble pass to Freeman or something. Cause I mean, the Falcons do have probably the most offensive weapons of anybody in the league. And I, I do think it is kind of a, just a weird situation where a lot of times once we get down to red zone, Julio is kind of used as a decoy, or at least he's a very, very quick first option. And if he's doubled, we have backups because we know defenses are looking at Julio. So I think he puts up big yardage versus a high, high touchdowns. I can kind of see where you're going, but when it comes down to it, they're paid to score touchdowns. And I know you they put a lot on the play calling, which I agree. The play calling was subpar last year. Even Matt Ryan's play was subpar last year. But Matt Ryan deserved that contract that he got. Because you have to have a quarterback. But I just want to see more production out of Julio. And if if you're not satisfied, go work your ass off. Come to come to OTAs and work with Matt Ryan. Like, look, this is what I know we've been playing for five, six years together. But this is what I want. This is what I like. Don't work out in Alabama with these high school quarterbacks. What are you doing? You're not learning how to catch. You know how to catch. You need to get that timing down with your quarterback. Yeah, and and I, I agree with you. I, you got a point there. So I'm just glad he, it's not at the point where he's sitting out yet. It is still no, OTAs. I, I, I mean, and like I like I said, like all of this, his agent hasn't come and, come out and said anything. He hasn't come out and said anything. So there has been something going on. Like you said, you, you, ha- you had a story a few weeks ago. This is probably the first time I can ever remember any kind of cloud around Julio. Julio. Yeah. He's always been a, a team guy, kind of a franchise guy. Um, so this is definitely the first offseason where I'm seeing some, I don't want to say full out drama, but there have been a couple stories surrounding Julio. And yeah, I mean, that's probably the most realistic option is he's looking to maybe increase his, his bank account a little bit. Now, I know... Maybe if he won dropping $100,000 earrings in Lake <laughs> Lanier. So, as far as increasing your bank account, getting a better deal. Well, you just got this deal two or three years ago. Okay, so you're making $14.5 million. Well, what you can do is Atlanta Falcons working some incentives, incentives to your contract. Hey, man, if you catch 10 touchdowns this year, we'll give you an extra $10 million. That's a good point. Stuff like that. That's a good point. And it's not going to hurt the salary cap. And it's also going to give yeah. Julio a, lot a drive. Of people, a lot of people don't score. think of that creativity when it yeah. comes to contracts. We always just look at what's the cap, what are their, mm-hmm. what's their guaranteed. I mean, that's definitely something they can do, which I think they will actually do yeah. if all this is true, which I do think there is some truth to it. That's probably what they'll do. I mean, because Julio, yeah, like you said, like there's never been no kind of dark cloud around Julio at all. Mm-hmm. He kind of just does his own thing. He doesn't, doesn't show much emotion on the field. Just kind of goes out there and balls. You know what this kind of reminded me of? Not to hijack your uh, hangover of the week and not to go into a whole tirade. I don't even want to go in detail, but you know what this is kind of reminding me of? What? Situation that's kind of going on with Kawhi. <laughs> just a little bit. Just a little bit. Not exactly the same, but same kind of thing. Quiet guy, franchise guy, keeps his head down, and now he's kind of wanting his. Well, I think if Matt Ryan called Julio, he would answer. If anybody, if Greg Popovich called Kawhi Leonard, I don't think he would answer. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's true. That's true. I, I, yeah, that that situation. You think like, if Dan Quinn called, if Dan Quinn called, yeah, Julio would answer. 
Maybe if not. Quinn, maybe maybe not Dimitrov though. <laughs> if Dan Quinn called Julio seriously and was like, "Hey man, we really need you here. We're, yeah. we're working on some new stuff." Julio would be there. Yeah, he, he would. So I'm gonna be honest, man. If I was a star in that position, it would be hard. Oh yeah, to I get agree. There, I I totally like, agree. Like we said, it's expected. Both this is a weird. Both of our stories have to do with. OTAs, voluntary yeah. work. That's a big thing right now. Both with veteran, probably both Hall of Fame players. Man, it'd be tough to get me there. It, I, I agree. Yeah. But it's just one of those things that you're you're working to get better. Yeah. And if, I, if I'm if i in Julio's position, I know we didn't have that great of a yeah. year. I need to get back with my quarterback and work on some stuff. That's good. That's good. So before I close this out, before I say the tagline, real quickly, me being a Falcons fan, I don't know, because I know you're not a Falcons fan. I don't know if you you got them on Twitter and everything. Speaking of OTAs, you're starting to see images come out of, of them working out. Did you see Keanu Neal? What, is did you he see, like stacked or did something? Did you see that picture of Keanu Neal? No, I haven't. Boy, <laughs> Keanu Neal, he he's already one of the hardest hitters <laughs> in the league, right? It, him coming up as a safety, he's already... He's very good. He, he's one of the hardest hitters, I mean... He he's nasty. They they put a picture out of him yesterday. He put on some muscle. Somebody just straight ate protein powder all <laughs> all offseason. Dude, his arms. He's he's just got like too too many guns. For well, hopefully arms. that don't make him too stiff. And no, nah, I'm not worried about that. That that can't happen. You can become too stiff. It can't. But if <laughs> like like I said, best comment I saw on Twitter. Somebody said NFL. They tagged at NFL commish. So they tagged Roger Goodell and said, hey, NFL commission, just find him 25000 for this picture. <laughs> so, Well, no, I think they're more interested in, in marijuana. So yeah, that's true. Pay, yeah, Goodell's not even paying attention to yeah, that. Yeah, they don't care about PEDs right now. So you get one big hit, that's when you get your random drug test yeah. that week. So, All right. So that is our hangover of the week. Okay, so moving on, let's jump into the Western Conference Finals. Um, when we talked last time, we had, what, one game in the books? One game. One game in the books. Warriors beat Rockets in Houston, and it was kind of scary because you lose game one at home, that's different than a, a team stealing a game at your home court, right? So maybe you win game one, they steal game two. Okay, now, man, they they have home court advantage now. They come out and win that first game. There's definitely a, a mental aspect to that. Like, oh man, we just got punched in the mouth. Like, like I say, everybody's got a plan until you get till you get hit, right? And coming out and losing game one at home, I could have. I really thought the Rockets were in danger of possibly getting swept. Yeah, we we both were. And what that could have done. And I remember closing out the show last week saying, man, our show next week, we could be talking about, I mean, something completely different. But I got to give it to them. Rockets came out, game two, home court, and they whooped up on the Warriors. Rockets won 127 to 105. I don't think anybody expected that. So I got to give it to them. They won game two on their home court. And... It was pretty solid, really all around. James Harden had 27. Chris Paul put up a smooth 16. P.J. Tucker put up 22. Trevor Ariza, 19. And then 
my guy that I've been talking about all playoffs when it comes to Houston, man, Eric Gordon, he put up just as much as James Harden with 27 points. Mm-hmm. So, really, they were scoring from all around. Man, Trevor Ariza, with that 19 points, shot seventy, basically 78%. P.J. Tucker shot basically 89%. Like, they, they were feeling it at home. I mean, yeah, watching that game, Houston couldn't miss. Like, yeah. Everything and, they put up was just and, going in. And that's who they've been all season, though. That's why they're number one in the West. And that's the whole point of having home court advantage. That's why game one was such a surprise. How do you lose this opening game on your home court? They came out game two. They looked like the Houston that that deserved home court throughout the regular season. They did. Yeah. Like, I was watching the game, and it, just, it kind of felt like, all right, Warriors, I know we talked about it last week. You accomplished what you needed to do. You won one game on the road. So now you got home court in your in your favor. Mm-hmm. And that's what it kind of looked like. Katie still went off. He dropped 37. But other than that, Warriors just kind of looked out of it. it. It was scary because at that point, at the end of game two, Steph had only hit one three that game. He'd only hit one three in game one. So you're looking at these Western Conference Finals and Steph had only hit two three-pointers. Now, I'll give it to him. He was getting to the basket for, I mean, Steph Curry is probably just as good a guard at getting to the basket as I've seen since, like, Nash. In terms of he'll dribble in, he'll use his body to kind of shield you off, and he'll go off the wrong foot. Yeah, He'll kind of miss mistime it and put up a little scoop layup that even on, on a bigger guy, he can't block. And that's exactly what Nash was famous for. He'd go off the wrong foot and throw the defender timing completely off. Yeah, it kind of reminds you of, uh, well, when he was in his prime, Tony Parker. Yeah. He's kind of yeah. one of the smallest guys in the court, just, but you're getting in there. Just really shifty in the paint. And yeah. that's how Steph was playing. But still, you, you have to be worried as a Warriors fan. Here's the best three-pointer, three-point shooter the league's ever seen. And he's hit one a game. So, come, I mean, like you said, yeah, KD did his thing. Didn't get the help from everybody else that he needed. I mean, this this is what's sad. Clay Thompson, eight points. Draymond, six points. Andre Godala, five points. I mean, it's it's just a not a Warriors team when you're looking at that spread. Yeah, Rockets, they moved the ball around. Yeah. They let every, I mean, granted, everybody was hitting something, but... But, they moved the ball around. But not just them scoring, but the fact that Golden State couldn't score. I yeah. mean, Steph still had 16 without really shooting well. Mm-hmm. So that shows you how, how good he is actually in the paint when he shouldn't be. So the big story coming out of Game 2 was all around the sports world, people were saying Steph Curry's still injured. You know, he came back from injury here in the playoffs. Everybody said he doesn't look right. This isn't the Steph Curry we know. This isn't the two-time MVP. This isn't the guy who's revolutionized the way the game is played. So, even I mean, I started thinking, okay, maybe Steph really isn't at 100%. Maybe he, he really is struggling, but he knew his team needed him, if anything, mentally to be on that floor to, to at least get through these conference finals, go ahead and get to the finals. So, there's definitely some alarm there. Yeah, and Houston went after Curry every single possession they would bring a pick switch to curry 
they'll go after him every single possession. So mm-hmm. he, he almost kind of looked like a liability. He did. And so that brought up the questions like, oh, is he hurt? I just think it's kind of a lame excuse because, I mean, it just shows how great Curry is as a shooter that he's only hitting, averaging one three a game. From the, um, it just kind of shows the how great he is because you're expecting more, exactly more of him, exactly. So moving out of game two, going into game three, Golden State just got beat by about twenty points. You you knew they weren't gonna like that. They got beat by twenty two points. Golden State. You know they usually respond after a loss. They've been here before. The, these are the vets. Every person on that team is a wily vet who's been deep into the playoffs. This is nothing new for them. And, man, they came out game three at home. And that looked like Steph Curry of old. He put everybody to rest. Because you look at that stat line, Steph Curry put up 35 points. KD... People were saying KD was off that game. He still put up 25. I'll go ahead and say it. I don't care who's on their team. If Kevin Durant scores 20-plus and Steph scores 30-plus like they did in that game. That's a W. Nobody's going to beat that. Mm -hmm. And Steph Curry with that 35 points, he was 5 for 12 from 3, 41%. That's respectable. I mean, that's kind of... Anything over 40 is respectable. It's not typical Steph Curry, but hey, five, he hit five threes. Him putting up 35, I think, put all of the doubt to rest of, oh, is he 100%? Is he good to go? He said, sometimes you got to be your own biggest fan. And he started getting all this doubt from the media that he was still injured. He knew he wasn't. He just knew he was having off nights. And to come out and be the leading scorer on his team in a blowout win... In game three, I, I think Steph Curry's back. I don't think there, there's any doubt left of if he's 100% or not. Well, And even even if he's not back, let's just say that let's, – let's say Steph's like, man, I hit those five threes, but they really didn't feel good. But now it's in Houston's head. Houston, Houston is now saying Steph is back. So they still have to defend him more. Exactly. And I know after, after the game, Draymond said, yeah, we felt like – they were doubters of us. And we felt like our backs were against the wall. And I know Curry dropped 35. He dropped 18 in the third quarter. Yeah. I think this game, because even before Curry went off, Warriors were still up double digits. Oh, yeah. When the Warriors want to play defense, they can be the best defense in the league when they want to. And to be fair, now we haven't even said what the score of this game was. Here you are talking about defense. Rockets are high-scoring, high-octane team. Rockets only put up 85 points in Game 3. The Warriors had 126 points. They won by 41 41 damn points. In In a playoff game. In Not just a playoff game, in the Western Conference Finals. Two best teams in the West. That's the largest margin of victory by the Warriors in a playoff game in franchise history. It was also the largest margin loss that the Houston Rockets have ever had as a franchise in the playoffs. I was surprised that wasn't like the largest playoff loss ever or playoff win. I'm sure there was like a first round game somewhere yeah. along the line where somebody got beat by 45. But you don't expect a whooping like that 
in the conference finals. I thought the game before that, when Golden State lost by 21 points, I mean, I thought that was embarrassing. And hell, they came out and they they pretty much doubled that. I know we were talking pre-show. It's like, can we get like a, a decent playoff game as far as the final, like the these conference finals? Because every game's been pretty much a blowout. But like I said, the Warriors' defense, they created 19 turnovers. They can play so well when they want to on the defensive end. Oh, yeah. I think they definitely take pride in their defense, probably more than their offense. Everybody thinks of them as this great shooting team. And, again, we kind of talked about this last week. That starting lineup when you have Steph, Clay, Kevin Durant, Andre Godala, Draymond Green, that's one of the best defensive lineups in the league because they can switch on everybody. Basically, yeah. everybody other than Steph can guard any position mm-hmm. they want. And Clay Thompson's probably the second best two-way player other than Kawhi Leonard in terms of being able to get his shot on offense and go off, but also be a lockdown wing defender. Clay Thompson, I think, is second best in the league. He can stick anybody. Kevin Durant is so damn long that he can really guard anybody. Yeah. Because he's athletic, too. He's not a slow seven-footer, obviously. Andre Godala can guard anybody. And then Draymond, he can guard your two-guard, your three-guard, but he can also guard your five. So I think the Warriors, that's really where their identity is, is when they're firing on defense. And like I said last week, Draymond Green really is the kind of the pin that holds all that together. That when they're back on defense, Draymond's the one that's kind of directing everybody and calling out switches and screens. And that's why you might see him get mad because he's almost like the quarterback of their defense. And that's why they work so well. So when they come out and they put up a a defensive game like that, because, yeah, they, they scored 126 points. Their offense was firing. But you would at least expect Houston to break 100 in a game like that. If Golden State has 126, I'm expecting Rockets to have like 110. Because mm. I think, okay, this was just a shootout. No, Golden State locked Houston down. And then it was one of those games, James Harden had 20 points. That's not he a James Harden game. He's got to do no, more than not. that. Chris Paul had 13. That's about what I expect from Chris Paul. I, I expect a little more, maybe like 16, 18. But to I I don't expect Chris Paul to be putting up 20 a night. But to beat the Warriors, he's going to have to. But he's always been so much of a facilitator. I think... But that hasn't see, that really hasn't been his game this year, though. No, seeing him shoot threes this year with Houston has looked strange. And he's been great at it. I'll give it to him. Chris Paul, he's fit right in, coming in and taking his shots and working even to some mid-range. But at the end of the day, Chris Paul is a facilitator. That's what he does. So at 13... Like I said, yeah, Chris Paul, he's going to have to put up more like 18. Of course, in this game, it wouldn't have helped. <laughs> but Trevor Ariza, we just talked about what he had in the previous game, right? Trevor, had 19 last game. Yeah, Trevor Ariza had 19 last game. Well, in the game four. Yeah. Game three, six points. So you can see when, when the Rockets aren't just knocking down threes, it, it's scary. It, it's not a good news for them because Golden State – they don't have to knock down threes to win. Everybody no. thinks that's their identity. No, Golden State does not have to knock down threes to win. Kevin Durant lives and dies with that mid-range, really. he Yeah, he'll shoot threes, but 
anything inside of that three-point line, Kevin Durant can, can rise up over anybody and have mm-hmm. a clean look at a mid-range shot. He's like, I mean, that's always been the comparison. He's a way more athletic, way better handles version of Dirk, where is any, anything inside, you're not blocking his shot. You can hope to maybe get a hand in his face to where you can't see the basket. That's the best you're going to hope against Kevin Durant. So that game three, I think, showed us the Warriors are, are really firing on all cylinders because they're getting stops on defense and then they're converting that into ridiculous amount of points on offense. I agree with everything you said. Like Aaron Gordon, Eric Gordon in game two had 27. Game three had 11. Just it's that defense. Let's talk about Harden. I know you said he only scored 20 points. He's five for 21 from three this series. And it brings up, we talked about it before the playoffs started. And our first show was Chris Paul and James Harden. They've known to be, they've known to kind of check. Well, I would say James Harden has been known to check out in the playoffs if things aren't going his way. He's looking like a playoff James Harden right now. He is. This is, if he, this is classic James Harden. And again, I don't want to get too ahead of myself because they just had a 20-point victory in Game 2. Yeah, who knows how Game 4 is going to go. I don't want to say, oh, Harden's falling apart in the playoffs. But he definitely had one of those games where he said, okay, I I was waiting on this. I was waiting for him to kind of fold. And to me, the most frustrating part of watching that game, what really got me mad and let's be honest, James Harden, a lot of his points comes on driving in, creating some ridiculous contact, and getting foul calls and going to the free throw line. I think people, yeah, we love to hate. We love to kind of rag on LeBron of, oh, he's always looking for the call. I don't think LeBron, LeBron always is trying to finish the play. He's not necessarily trying to create a foul. He he's creating plays in almost like Shaq. He's so big, so strong. He's he gets fouled really every play. And sometimes it's called, sometimes it's not. That's how Shaq was. He he gets smacked on the arm and dunk on you and the refs wouldn't call it, even though technically that's a foul. But he's just so damn big and strong. And that's what LeBron is. James Harden, he looks for the foul instead of how can I get this to the basket? He's, you know, he puts the ball behind his head. He puts his forearm on the defender and kind of muscles him and then goes up for a layup and just hoping to get that whistle. What frustrated the hell out of me, and this is classic Harden. Harden, before this year, has never been a defensive player. Mm. This year, I think he did step it up a little bit. Because he knew for his team to be great, he really does have to concentrate on that other end. Like we just said, Golden State, they I think they take a lot of pride in their defense probably more than they do in their offense. James Harden, when he did not get a call in that game three, it was basically a four-on-five break because he would sit down there and just pout to the ref and then kind of hang his head, and he wasn't getting back on defense. Now I get, yeah, there, every star in every single game has some plays where they're looking at the ref, kind of complaining, and everybody else gets back on defense. But this is like all game. James Harden, when he doesn't get the call, 
was just kind of sinking into himself instead of getting his head in the game. And I think that contributed a lot to that huge lead. I think Mike D'Antoni has to get into James Harden a little bit and say, look, when things aren't going your way, you got to get your ass back. I don't care. Like, yeah, maybe chirp to the ref a little bit, put it in their head. Hey, I'm getting fouled. Look for it. I mean, you do. You got to tell them to look for it. I get it. Trust me. I've, Hell, just in rec league, I've gotten my fair share of technicals for yelling at the ref. I get it. But, man, get your ass back on defense here in these Western Conference Finals. So that that was my biggest complaint of James Harden. Not necessarily how he looked on offense, but more kind of his lack of defense. And not even like he was getting beat. It's that he wasn't getting back. And I think that just goes to what we've been talking about for a while is him just kind of checking out. Like things aren't going his way. You're going to be the, he's going to be the MVP this year. So show it. And he deserves it. He deserves yeah. it. I give it to him. He he definitely deserves the MVP this year. So show us you're the MVP. I know calls ain't going your way. That's just how it is when you're on the road in the playoffs. You're not going to get all those calls you want, but you still got to show that effort. I know game four is tonight, Tuesday. Huge game. I do yep. think I'm going to make this prediction. I do think this is going to be finally our our close playoff game that we want. I, I think it's too. going to be back and forth because Rockets know that their backs are against the wall. They know that. They have to come out and play better, and I think they will. Yeah. But Golden State being at home, they're also going to play well. So it's going to be fun to see. Now, looking forward, what do you think about it? (laughs) Ask me first. (laughs) Of course, by the time this comes out, we could be wrong. This comes out. Of course, we look stupid because Thursday this drops and everybody knows the results of the game tonight. Mm -hmm. But that being said, I do agree with you. I don't think tonight... This is game four in Golden State. I don't think it's as ugly as game three. Like you said, I think Rockets have to be in survival mode because they win this one. All right, series is tied up 2-2. They win back their home they, court. They still have home court, right? They See, I mean, they don't deserve the luxury of getting to relax on these away games because they dropped game one at home, which was, again, that's embarrassing because it was game one. So I do think we see Houston in survival mode. I could also see it going one of two ways because it is playoff Harden, playoff Chris Paul. I can see it being survival mode and then putting up a fight and that grit that we saw from the Celtics towards the end of, of the game. Um, of game four where, okay, Celtics are actually fighting for this. They're, they didn't win, but you can't say they didn't fight to try to get back in that. So I want to see the Rockets fight. I could also see it exactly what happened last year. James Harden got down and he just gave up on the team. Maybe not his teammates, but he, he gave up. He's like, damn, we we're losing. <laughs> I hope that does not happen. So, and I think this year it they're a little different than they were last year. So, yes, they just got blown out. Yes, I think Golden State's the better team. But I don't want to be super reactionary just because we just saw them get beat by 40 points. Because you could have asked me 
after game two and Golden State just got beat by 20 points and I might have said something different. So I don't want to be super reactionary to each game. I think everybody's still feeling each other out, throwing, just kind of throwing some jabs. Tonight, I think we do see a good game. I still think Golden State wins probably, probably about 10 points at home. They go up 3-1. I could see Rockets winning the next one at home. Series 3-2. Golden State brings it back home. They win game six, 4-2. They're off to the finals. <laughs> That's my prediction. Yeah, I, I agree totally with you. I don't know. We almost agree too much. But that's exactly how I see it. I think it's going to be a close game tonight. Warriors win probably about about 8, 10 points. They kind of pull away late. They go up 3-1. I do see Houston getting that game 6 or game 5. They'll be up 3. They'll be down 3-2, but Golden State ain't losing at home. They they're just not and it'll end that way. Yeah, I don't I don't see Golden State losing any any home games this series. That being said, I don't see Golden State losing any home games Period. rest of the playoffs. Yeah. So the the only re, the only way I see myself being wrong in this prediction is if Golden State wins away in Houston for Game Five <laughs> and they they <laughs> end up they end up winning the series four to one. I'm giving the Rockets a little more benefit of the doubt. I think they do win that next game at at home, but then like you said, comes back to Golden State. I think the I think the Rockets just shot themselves in the foot giving up that it, first game. Yeah. You you play all season for home court advantage, right? Like here we are, we're talking about Boston. We, we don't know if they're necessarily they're a better team than the Cavs, but we don't know if they have what it takes to really close out the Cavs with LeBron James. The the Cavs just have the benefit of having the best player for the past decade on their team, and he just happens to be playing at probably his highest level he's ever played at offensively. But at least Boston has taken care of home court. They played all season. They're taking care of home court because they know that's what they need to do. The Rockets, man, that's this team was put together to beat the Warriors. That's every team in the in the West. All any roster moves made in the offseason, GMs are looking at, okay, can this roster move help us beat the Warriors? They're not this isn't hey, can we get to the finals? against any other team. Every team is put together X's and O's against how do they match up against the Warriors. Don't don't want anybody don't kid yourself. Everybody in the West is looking at the Warriors. Because this team isn't going anywhere for the next few years. Barring injury. So I don't want to jinx them. But man, the Rockets played all season to get home court advantage, lock in that number one seed. They worked so hard for that. And lost it in game one. Lost it in game one. You gave away home court in game one. And unless they light a fire under their ass and somehow steal one at Golden State, it's just it's not gonna happen. So like I said, yeah, we we might agree too much, but on this one, I can't count out the Warriors at home. So like I said, that's my prediction. Four two. Yeah. And I wouldn't be surprised if if Golden State wins tonight and James checks out, whole Rockets team checks out, and they also lose at home. Well, that's exactly, be that's exactly what happened last year. Yeah. I mean, he checked out, and I always joke about it, saying, man, he he checked out, and he was just already thinking about the strip club after the game. 
But yeah, like you just <laughs> lost the game and you're at the strip club like right after the game. That's I don't know, man. I need I need to see that killer instinct from James Harden. And like I said, I don't want to be too reactionary because they did win by twenty the other night. Yeah. So I'm not I don't want to be too reactionary. So my conservative belief is eight like you said, eight ten point win tonight by Golden State. Maybe a little more due to like, you know, free throws at the end of the game trying to stop the clock. But I think actual victory will be about ten points. Houston wins at home, comes back to Golden State. That's the series. Totally agree. All right. And so far, that is your Western Conference Finals. So now it's time again here towards the end of the show. It's time for Last Call. Okay, so again, our last call, this is just Something we want to touch on at the end of the show, um, just quick, quick story. We didn't want to devote, you know, prime, prime real estate to during the show. I mean, it's NBA conference finals. We have to touch on that. But last call is just always something we want to touch on. Um, could be sports related. Could be, could not be. Um, more, mo- more of them have been sports related so far. Was it was last week's NFL? Well, last week my hangover was about the yeah the, yeah 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 um, me- medical marijuana. Yeah, so yeah, here we have we have another NFL story. This is our our last call this week, and this one uh, typically for our last call, one of us will kind of rant on something and just something we saw that week that we just wanted to get off our chest. Uh, this week's gonna be a little different. It's gonna be both of us talking about this story that just came out here today on Tuesday, and this one's a little weird. So reports coming out today from Atlanta, by the way, that's where the the team owners are meeting this week. Yeah, from, in Atlanta. From Atlanta, that team owners, the league, are this isn't official, but they're throwing around the idea of having a fifteen yard penalty for teams that kneel during the national anthem. So this idea is getting thrown around. My opinion, how the hell anybody thinks this is a good idea, I don't know. I think this opens up a can of worms that will be ugly for the league. I think the league has already taken a hit over this issue on both sides. I I think they've handled it pretty terribly, to be honest. You have people who support the kneeling and don't want to watch the NFL. And you have people who don't like the kneeling, don't like what's going on, and they haven't been as into the NFL. I think it's really hurting them on two fronts. Ratings were down a little bit. And this is one of those things I think at first the NFL thought it might go away, and it hasn't. So here we are a year later, and they're discussing implementing a penalty for kneeling for the National Anthem. What what do you like? What's your just immediately when you hear that story? What are you thinking? Well, first first off, how how are you going to implement that? And I agree with what you said. NFL, I feel like they never handle anything right. It's always been wrong. It's always wrong. It's always 
one step too late. Yeah, like, yeah. To me, to me, the biggest example is the Ray Rice. Yeah, yeah I was about to say that. That's the worst to me because Ray Rice. We all we all know Ray we Rice. All saw the video, Ray, Ray, but before we saw the video, Ray Rice got in trouble for knocking out his girlfriend, right, or his wife. So, Ray Rice domestic dispute got what a a suspension, a couple games suspension, like four games or something. That that's that. Then the video was made public, and then here comes all the public outcry, and then the NFL doing damage control starts implementing all these new rules, longer suspensions. They run the whole campaign with the the painful commercials, the like cringy commercials with it'd be people crying in the camera saying we need let's talk about it and we need to talk about domestic violence. Which yeah, that that is a bad issue that needs yeah. to be talked about. But it was just so hypocritical because it was after the fact that once the video came out, all the public is like, holy crap, this is bad. And to think the league had seen that video. Like, that that video was, was known. Yeah. When they're, that, investi- that's, that's when they're the investigating thing. it, they had seen the video. Yeah, and they still only gave him a suspension. Yeah, so when it comes out, and then the public is like, oh my God, how can you only suspend this guy for a few games? Oh, okay, let's put together a whole PR campaign. That I'm not saying the PR campaign was a bad idea. I'm saying... The NFL seems to always do something too late. We were just talking last week about how great the NBA is about getting ahead of the curve, whether not just gambling, but like social issues. NBA, they give their players enough freedom to express themselves. NBA also likes to support social issues. I mean, we just talked about DeRozan has had some some kind of mental health issues, depression, mm-hmm. and he came out this season and he took a break because he needed that help. And the NBA put together this great campaign of mental health awareness and all these great issues they get behind the NFL. It always seems is in damage control versus how can we help the community? So again, this subject is super touchy and there are points on both sides to be made. But to me, the idea that these owners are throwing around the idea of, well, hey, let's just give a 15-yard penalty if you kneel during the game. Like you said, how does that get implemented in the first place? Is that 15 yards on the kickoff? Yeah. Which the kickoff is going the way of the dinosaurs and realistically probably won't even be every, around in five years. I mean, yeah, every kick is pretty much a touchback anyway. Yeah, it's going through so the So moving zone. ahead 15 yards isn't going to do anything. Yeah, and then, so what do you do? Okay, I have one. I have two guys on my sideline kneel. You have a couple guys on your sideline kneel. Do they all set? Are they all setting (laughs) penalties? Are they, how how do you implement this? And like, to be honest, if you want to implement fines, I could kind of see that. I I get that. I mean, I'm not saying that that seems more understandable. I'm not saying I support it or not. I'm saying in terms of like a logistics issue and the game issue, I could see them implementing something of, okay, if you kneel, you're going to get a, $20,000 $20,000 fine. I, I, I could see that. I'm not saying I support it or not. That I'm that's just, I'm saying that's that seems like I would, if I heard that story today that we wouldn't be talking about it. No, owners thinking of fine for kneeling. I would say man, that that's kind of harsh, but okay. It's like logical. That, it, it's logical. It, it could make sense and it's it, it could be implemented. A 15-yard penalty, so you're going to have an effect on the actual outcome of 
one on the actual outcome of the game because somebody kneeled in pregame for something that I think is before 2008 the players weren't even on the field for. I mean, let's make point of that too. Before 2000, I think it was eight players were in the locker room for the national anthem anyway. It was just the whole patriotism. The military started giving the NFL money. That's when players came out and hey, I'm all for patriotism. That's that's great, but I just don't see how you can have an effect on the actual game for something that happens pregame. Um, I mean, let's say. Let's just say two players got in a fight before the game. If one of the guys on my sideline comes over to your guys during warm-ups and they get in a fight, they'll probably just be ejected from the game. They're not going to implement a, a personal foul 15-yarder on my team come kickoff because that was pregame, and that's what doesn't make any sense to me. And then, like I said, if that happens on both sides, okay, what does that do? If you put it on the kickoff, okay, who really gives a crap because – kickoffs are going through the end zone anyway so I think this is one a terrible idea I think two it's really just going to stir up even more kind of trouble around the issue I, I do feel like towards the end of the season it started dying down a little bit you you still had guys kneeling but you would have maybe a couple guys kneeling on a team you would have some teammates support them some teammates just stand away I mean <clears throat> you would have guys put their hands on the on the guy's shoulder who's kneeling yeah. and it's showing hey I'm not I'm not doing it but I'll but support I'll support you, you. okay and then I, I do think kind of second half of the season it died down a little bit cuz it it was it, nobody was talking about games the first half of the season no they weren't that nobody was talking it, about NFL and games every sports center highlight it would start with the national anthem and see who took a knee took a knee exactly and I don't I'm if I'm in that position I'm not doing it but I understand why why you're doing it, and I support your right to do that. Yeah. I do. And yeah. I, I don't want to create this crazy political buzz. and Like I said, I think this is – like I said, the NFL is always one step behind. I think this is just stirring it all up again. Like I said, they want to implement a fine. Not saying I support it, but it makes sense. That's something that they can actually do. Behind closed doors, yeah, people would get riled up about it. They wouldn't be happy about it. But I just don't see how you can say this is going to have an effect on the actual ball game because your guy took a knee. All, all it is is basically the owner saying you need to strong arm your players and implement policies that they all stand. Well, I, I, think, that's, I think that's what it is because it's the owners coming up with these ideas. So it's going to affect the game. And I I know they're coming up with ideas because their brand took a hit. This is a business and their business's identity took a hit last year with all this going on. So instead of coming up with kind of creative ways to maybe help it or discuss it, let's just put a penalty on them. I, I don't get it. That's like, I mean, could you imagine the NBA Saying, hey, your guy sat during the national anthem pregame. We're going to start the game off. Other team gets two technical free throws. Because that's essentially what this is saying. I agree. And the most logical thing for them to do is the fine. Now, I'm not saying for them to do it because I, I still don't agree with that. But they are if they are going to implement something, 
do a fine. Don't affect the game. Yeah. Because this isn't affecting the game. This is a issue outside of the game. And they're using their platform of the NFL, most watched sport, to express that. So don't don't affect the game. I think I think that you said it bet. This this is an issue outside of the game. Yeah. When you're inside those sidelines, inside that hundred yards, keep it about football. When it's pregame, when it's postgame, man, I don't care what you do. They they find guys for saying stuff post game. They they find NFL loves to find people. Yeah. Dude, don't go, talk about the refs in any sport. Don't talk about the exactly. refs because you get fined. You get fined. Go for it. That's post game, pregame, whatever. But man, when it's when it's football time, just leave it about the game. And I think you said it best. It's an issue outside of the game. So that's all I gotta say about that. Um, I think it's it's a stupid idea if they actually go through with this. Again, it's just being thrown around right now. It's nothing set in stone, but it's definitely a bad look that this these reports are even coming out that hey, owners are throwing around in game penalties for pregame actions. And that is our last call. So here we are at the end of the show. We appreciate you hanging on this long. Um, Like I said earlier, if you don't agree with anything we said here, man, come at us on Twitter, at BallersOnTap. We love when you show us some love, when you let us know you're a fan, or if you support something we say or something we retweet and you want to comment. But at the same time, if you think something we said is so stupid or wrong, or hey, maybe, maybe you think there should be some penalties in NFL games for this, Come at us. Let us know. We want to know what you guys think. And more importantly than that, we want some suggestions for beers. We, we want we want to know what, what should we try next week? What's your favorite go-to? Yeah, you got the Millers, the Coors. When you're going getting a little kind of unknown brewery. On, on payday when you want to spend a little bit extra. Yeah, yeah. When you're not going for that flat of natties for 15 <laughs> bucks, let us know what we should go for. And like I said, we, we shout you out. We're more than happy to, to try it. And uh, let you know what we think, good or bad. We, we've definitely run into some bad and, and gotten some feedback on that as well. So like I said, also subscribe to the podcast. Leave us some comments. Rate us. Uh, that definitely helps us out. When you do, go ahead and give us a rating. And that being said, that's on iTunes or Stitcher. So for all you Android folks, download the Stitcher app. Find us on there. Same thing. Ballers on tap. Um, I am your host. Evan Kelly, along with the co-host. KK, what it is, what it do, what it ain't. And this was Ballers on Tap.